Welcome to Washoe Life, our Washoe County podcast about people who live here and telling their story. What do they do? How does it affect our lives? For all of us who live here in Northern Nevada, I'm Nancy Lewinhagen. And I'm Bethany Drysdale. So happy to be here. This is our new season, season two of Washoe Life. And the subject of today's discussion is really the star of the show so far this year in the new year, Mother Nature and our weather. I, I couldn't. I mean, we're, we, we look ahead, Bethany and I. We do plan, by the way. We plan this thing out. And we started talking a couple of weeks ago and said, mm, weather is it. Uh, we have a great guest for you here in, in just a less than a minute that you're going to meet. Uh, it's been a challenging one. And, and you, I grew up in the Midwest. Let's just say that. And so I am used to snow and cold and, but it's not like this. And I mean, even, even with extreme climate, this, this is different. It is. And I grew up on the coast in California, the North coast where it's cold and foggy all the time, but it doesn't really ever super rain. It just drizzles. Uh, we never get snow. So I'm one of those California transplants who is totally terrified of driving in the snow. I do stay in the right lane, though, and I let people go around me. I am a good out-of-the-way driver. I get out of the way, and everybody else goes by me. <laughs> so, so two things, Bethany. It's easier to drive in snow. You, whether or not, I did not grow up with all-wheel drive, by the way, <laughs> in the Midwest. Now I sound like an, a cranky old lady. But get off my lawn. <laughs> get off my lawn. But really, I always tell people, you're better off with a little bit of snow. You're, you know, don't, you got to leave distance and all of that. I prefer, like the other day, when there's a little bit of snow, I almost prefer that. It's the black ice that is just so scary. It is scary. And I think the uncertainty. So bringing it back to our guest, I think um, what's exciting about our guest is that he can bring a little certainty, but not entirely. And I think that's going to be part of the discussion. How, how does one... Uh, talk about weather. How does one forecast weather? How does one look at what's coming down the pike? Our guest today is Chris Smalcom, who is the meteorologist in charge for the National Weather Service, which is based here in Reno. And I, I want to welcome Chris, and I want to get this straight. Chris, you play a meteorologist. No, you are a meteorologist, but you don't play one on TV. No, I don't. I, I have a really good face for kind of behind the scenes, uh, meteorology but yeah and and honestly to your point about having just a little bit of snow on the roads um i will say that for the case for running too which i do a lot of um just that little bit of snow a little grippy grip yep. you know you can you can come on it it, uh, it it works pretty well um that it also covers up the mud in the mountains that's right that's yeah. right we get to we we feel like we know you chris because we get briefings from you uh when when we're in emergencies chris is the one who will come come to the regional emergency uh, operations center and give us big picture um really i i just the way you describe things and you, you guys will get to know him this is going to be a nice conversation so i want to know first how do you get into this? Is this, were you a science kid who just landed in meteorology? Did you look at um, weather.gov and say, I'm going to, I'm going to do that? Well, you know, so, you know, I'm kind of old. So, you know, I was in the pre-internet days uh, when, when I kind of got interested in weather. And so like most meteorologists, it's a childhood passion. It's something that, you know, maybe you went through an event or you saw something on TV. And so mine was like, you know, watching the weather channel. Uh, and the, seeing the landfall of Hurricane Andrew in, in the early 90s. Um, I grew up in Southern California, 
So don't explain that how I got interested in weather because it's, you know, morning low clouds and fog followed by hazy sunshine on almost every day. But we had relatives in the Midwest and we'd visit and we'd go through tornado events in the summer. And so that got me just super jazzed about, you know, why is this happening and, and can we predict it? That whole idea of being able to predict something in advance was really attractive and learning that process. Now, now you work for NOAA, right? Is that the, the correct terminology? It, it is. You know, so t- uh, we're part of the federal government. So typical federal government, lots of bureaucracy layers, of course. And so we're, we're the National Weather Service. We're under NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And then that's under the Department of Commerce, oddly enough. So you're like, why is weather in the Department of Commerce? So this goes back to the Nixon era when NOAA was founded. And so we've always tried to tie things to benefiting, not only you know protecting lives and property, which is our primary mission, but also benefiting the national economy through good weather forecasts. And so there's, there's really tangible results of, you know, say, oh, wow, we saved this much money by not taking this route because of a good forecast, we took this route instead, and we saved a lot of money. Well, that actually makes sense. Yeah, it does. It really does. And you, I want to talk about, if you don't follow, by the way, you can follow, you guys, what, you're all over social media. Yeah, uh, Twitter and Facebook are the primaries. Uh, YouTube, we do occasional uh, drops on YouTube as well. Um, you know, during the height of a big storm, definitely follow us on Twitter. We're constantly sharing information and posting original content on their forecast confidence. Sometimes we'll do little videos yeah. or forecasters wandering around in the snow and getting wet and telling you it's going to be wet. So yeah, you're a great communicator. And and I love that about you. Uh, And we get this briefing that does the freak out factor. And I love that. (laughs) That's my favorite thing to read. We talked about it yesterday. Oh, Chris put the color up for the weekend or, you know, what's ever coming in our way. Yep. I, so you, you, you use colors. I just, do you work with a bunch of people to put this together? Or? Yeah, you know, so our, our office here in Reno, you know, we have a, a staff of meteorologists who work 24-7, 365. We are always there, always ready to answer the phone by uh, any, any public safety agency that calls us in the middle of the night. You know, honestly, if the phone rings at 4 a.m., it's usually one is either NDOT, the airport, or the school districts calling, saying, hey, what's, uh, what's coming? And we're trying to make a decision on canceling or delaying. Um, so yeah, we have a whole team up there, um, I- including also, you know, electronics technicians that maintain our equipment. You know, we have a hydrologist, uh, Tim, you know, he's, he's amazing. He, he can just, you know, I always joke that when it's in the air, it's my problem. Once it hits the ground, it's Tim's problem because he's the hydrologist and deals with flooding and things like that. Um, and so yeah, we have a great group up there. And so, you know, the freakout chart, you mentioned that, um, it's this color coded threat matrix, from green to purple, uh, basically, you know, identifying the the hazards coming in the next seven to fourteen days, and so that was actually born out of the twenty seventeen winter when we just had so much going on, we couldn't keep it straight, and we couldn't. We needed to find a way to communicate it straight to to our partners. So that's that's where that came from, and so we always try and reserve purple. For the really, really bad days, you know, I always put a litmus test on that. Is it, is it going to be something that I'm going to remember a year from now or a few years from now when I look when I look back? So, you know, it's kind of like launching the nuclear weapons. You know, you have to have two people turning the keys at the same time to get that purple uh, shading on the freakout chart. And so we, we set a high bar to, to that, yeah. Do we have purple in our forecast? We do not have purple. Oh, okay. Yes, we got red. Yeah, we got I saw red, some red on there. But no, no purple, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, um, 
When we went into the New Year's storms, uh, were you seeing red and purple then? I, from what I've heard people talk about with the storms going on right now and, and what we are likely going to endure for a little while, atmospheric rivers are really hard to call. Well, I mean, that we, we were seeing red all right. I'll, I'll tell you that. It was just a storm after storm after storm. And, and you know, the atmospheric rivers themselves, these, these are, you know, it used to be called Pineapple Express. Right. I mean, either, either term. You know, atmospheric river is kind of the, the new term. Um, but honestly, they're fairly easy to see, you know, multiple days in advance. The question is, what exactly is going to be the impact, especially here in Nevada, because we are east of the Sierra. And so sometimes those atmospheric rivers, all the moisture gets squeezed out like a sponge in California, and we get nothing except wind. Um, other times, there's plenty of moisture in that sponge, and it makes it right on over the Sierra, and then we get plenty of rain and snow. And so the more recent storms have been more of the latter, where we've seen much more rain and snow coming in. Uh, to Nevada. It's almost like the rain shadow doesn't exist anymore. At least that's the way it, it, uh, it seems. And so, so that week we were definitely on high alert for, you know, lots of water, lots of rain, the rivers are going to rise. And so, you know, honestly, now after the most recent storms, we're like right there. We're right at that tipping point for if we have another atmospheric river, flooding is really going to be a big concern in the region. And, and how does that change you know, these, these extreme forecasts, I, I don't know, have you seen a change even in your decade or so that you've been here? Yeah, you know, I, this is one of the things is, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago as a, as a, as a day-to-day meteorologist, you know, the, the you know, climate change and extreme weather, you know, we work in extreme weather, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, climate change, that's not really my expertise, you know, that, you know, you know talk to DRI or other folks. But honestly, as a, as a meteorologist now in the region the last 10 years, especially, we're seeing it. You know, we're seeing these storms, they're, they're more intense, they're longer lasting. We get into these patterns where we just get locked in and it just keeps, you know, these storms just keep coming and coming. Or we get like last year, right? It's the opposite of this year where we get into that high pressure ridge and it just stays for months. And I'm like, um, this isn't normal. So, you know, we're, we're at that crossroads now as, as meteorologists to, you know, our models are getting good enough to identify these extreme weather events days in advance. Um, and we can see that, but as a meteorologist, like, oh man, that just doesn't seem possible. But we've seen enough events like, oh, okay, yeah, this is, this is possible. And how do we communicate that to the community without sending everybody into a panic? It's like, okay, you know, this high-end scenario is possible. Keep your eyes peeled, but, you know, that kind of deal. So in 2017, that was kind of the last really big, big storm well not big storm I mean we've had others since then but that's the one that everybody remembers and talks about and it felt like we would never dry out so is that typical oh yeah we dried out okay you know we we, it took a while but we we definitely went back into that drought mode and that's and, and that's classic Nevada that is our climate here you know we we have a large what we call interannual variability where we go from one extreme to another you know, we'll have these super wet years, and then we'll go back into a, a few dry years and then back to a super wet year, or maybe we'll have a couple super wet years in a row, and then I'll go back to dry. That is actually fairly normal for, for California and Nevada to have that kind of large interannual uh, variability. So, you know, as wet as things are now, and we, you know, we, we're already at the second wettest water year to date here in Reno since October 1st, things are really wet it will eventually dry back out. And, and, and so drought is always kind of on our minds. You know, we, we want to we wanna celebrate the years where we get a lot of moisture and snowpack, and that's great, uh, just like this year. But we always need to keep in the back of our minds, we live in a region where drought is a, 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 a thing we just have to deal with. And that, 
That's hard. I, you know, that, and I remember that most when you were briefing us in 2017. Remember, this will be followed by a drought. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, one of our hydrologists, he's retired, but he, uh, he always said, you know, the, the quickest way to end a drought in Nevada is with a flood. So it almost always seems to happen like that. And so that's why we're like going into this year, you know, especially now with all the storms we've had and everything is just so wet. It's like, okay, you know, we're, we're right there for, you know, if we have another big atmospheric river, Pineapple Express, we could definitely see, see flooding. Like, okay, well, that kind of fits the mold. You know, here we go. We're in a big drought. This is the way to get rid of it. So you sent me some information yesterday about our snowpack too, and that we're at 200, like 60 or 250% of our median snowpack. And ordinarily, if we were at that point, that would be like late March and we're at that in January. So I would imagine that's going to impact us in the spring and summer and later on. So are you really looking long-term on these things? And what does that mean to have that kind of snowpack? Yeah, it's just incredible amounts of snow. And it's actually even more, if the further south you head down toward Mammoth, they're at like 300% of normal. I mean, it's just just incredible amounts of snow in this year. And, 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 and the other thing too, a lot of this has happened just in the last say month or so you know? Um, and, and so that, again, that, that, that is also very normal for our climate in the region is to have these sort of spikes in storm activity, then it gets quiet, then spikes in storm activity. That's, that's pretty normal. So now, you know, yeah, we're over 200% of normal on the snowpack. Um, it's very, it's a very wet snowpack because we've had several rain events. So there's lots of water in that snowpack. And so a couple of things, that's again why we're kind of on high freakout over potential flooding if we had atmospheric rivers coming into the region again um, through the rest of winter, honestly. So February even into March. So anybody out there who's stockpiled sandbags or done flood mitigation, keep all that stuff handy at least through the rest of this winter. Uh, and number two for the spring, you know we're already kind of on watch for potential snowmelt flooding. Um, you know all that snowpack is going to come down at some point. So the scenario we're on the lookout for is like in April, May, or into June, if we have a really unusual heat wave and all that snow just starts melting off all at once. That's where we kind of have those high water events like along the, the Truckee, the Carson, the Walker Rivers, and, and other streams in the region. So we're hoping for a cold spring. Well, in a way, what you want is kind of the Goldilocks scenario where you have, you have that big snowpack and you have oscillations in temperature. So you have a warm spell, but maybe it only lasts a few days. Then it gets cold again. Then a warm spell for a few days. So you kind of melt it off more gradually. That's what happened in 2017. You know, we were just like this monster snowpack. And we're like, oh, we're going to flood. You know, like everybody's just in a panic over it. And I'm like, no, we ended up with that Goldilocks scenario where it warmed, then cooled, warmed, then cooled. And so we kind of just peeled that snowpack off more gradually. And yep. other areas flooded, but right. Yeah, the, exactly. Instead yeah. of, I yeah. see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, that yeah. makes sense. Along the rivers, yeah. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about sandbags and stuff. Um, what should people do? How do they prepare when they're, um, you know, they're watching the news, the local news, and seeing the forecast. They're going on Twitter and seeing your your updates. Um, do you have advice for residents? So, I, you know, it, as I mentioned already, you know, if you've, if you've already done preparedness for flooding, keep that preparedness at, at, at hand, um, you know, sandbags and all that jazz, you know, just, just be ready for it. Uh, the, the overarching thing, and this is a year-round thing, this should just be part of your daily routine, is check the weather forecast. We all know weather forecasts change. I mean, trust me, I, I work in it, and every day it's like, oh, how did, how did things change? How did the models change, you know? Um, and so, you know, look at the forecast when you wake up in the morning, you know, whether it's on your phone, on your app, or on our website, or, uh, you know, on social media. Um, and then, actually, I was thinking about this on the drive-in this morning. I was like, you know, actually, almost the better time to look at the forecast is before you go to bed. 
Yeah. Because then you have like the information like, oh, hey, maybe I should wake up a half an hour early tomorrow morning because there's going to be two inches of snow and I'm going to need to leave early to get to work. Instead of waking up surprised the two inches and being in a rush and, you know, you make bad choices and things happen, right? You know, so that's that's actually almost the better time to, to be aware. Yeah. I'm going to throw you a curveball question and, and my apologies. You can tell me that it's not fair. Yeah, send it, send it. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, my husband has an iPhone. I have an Android. We look at our weather apps on our phones and we disagree. Our apps disagree. So therefore we disagree. The weather has been the cause of numerous, um, heated discussions in our house. Um, he'll say, oh yeah, no, there's no rain tomorrow. And I'll say, no, it says it's going to start at 6 PM. So why can there, or how is there that um, disparity between reports. Oh, fair, fair enough, and and actually, I'm married to a meteorologist. She she doesn't oh, work in what we- she doesn't work in weather, but she she has a degree and knows enough and looks at the models herself. So she's always pinging me like, "What's going on here? You know, why is it showing this?" And so you know, yes, we have those uh, debates, shall we say? Um, but honestly, on the on the apps, you know, I each app can uh, has its own data sources, and so it's it potentially could show different outcomes. It may be using different models. It could be using our data from the weather service, um, or it might not be. And so there, there can be big differences in what, what your app shows. You know, beyond that, I, I, I don't know, you know, why, why I would be showing that. Um, but honestly, it's in a way, if you have two different forecasts, it kind of gives you a potential spectrum of possibilities. So you might be even more prepared for potential outcomes. And, and that's actually a, a technique we use in, in the weather service. It's called ensemble modeling, where we look at hundreds of different models and then we put them all into one big pot, stew them up, and then say, okay, you know, it gives us a spectrum of possibilities, probabilities of various things occurring. But you can do that something with a, a two, you know, two-member ensemble. So pick the forecast you like the best. Okay, and at the Lewenhagen household, I did it this past weekend. I pull up Chris Smallcombs, mm-hmm. and I just say, well, everyone says, well, here's this, here's that. Hey, guys, I want you to read this. <laughs> oh, well, this is, this is way more this is way more in-depth than what I get on my phone. I'm like, Exactly. So no, and and honestly, you know, like the freak out chart that we provide our public safety agencies and those briefings. I mean, we, we would love to provide those more publicly. We just, you know, the weather service don't necessarily have the infrastructure to be able to do that. I honestly maintain my email list via spreadsheet. So we don't have like a sophisticated way of uh, managing things. You, you guys are great. I I would say for a public agency, we understand that, uh, Get on Twitter. You guys, yep. we retweet you all the time. Yeah, we're really, we, we love social media. We love engaging. It's a two-way street, too, right. because then we get reports of things happening that help us adjust our forecast or confirm, hopefully, that the forecast is on, is on track. You know, and, and seeing, you know, we cover a large area. We go all the way down to Mammoth and up to the Oregon border. And so hearing what's going on down in Mono County, especially like right you know, with the roads and everything, is like, okay, you know, that helps confirm our messaging that, yes, conditions are bad. Yesterday, though, I emailed you for some information. Before I did that, I went on your website and I was digging through and I, I got lost for a little while. You have a lot of information on your website. So weather nerds out there, yeah. I mean, if they want to get into it, they can for sure. It was a little much for me. <laughs> it, it, our, our website, weather.gov slash Reno. Um, it's, um, yes, uh, you kind of put it nicely. There's a lot of information. It, the organization, it, you know, it could be tweaked here and there. Um, but there's a lot of information you can dive into there. No, yeah. but it's, it's great information. I mean, I, I 
wish that I, you know, could understand it more, but I think, I know that there, I have a really good friend who is just a complete weather nerd and, and she would eat that up. So, um, people who want to find that kind of information, it's definitely there. And I would say the same for residents and people who travel here. People yep. love coming here on vacation. Yep, exactly. Check it out. Mm-hmm. One, one thing, you know, you mentioned ways of staying weather informed is, um, if you go to our website, that weather.gov slash Reno, there's a button on there for, for called the forecaster discussion. If you click on that and bookmark it, it is, it is, we issue it twice a day. It is essentially the forecasters, uh, you know, cheat sheet of what they think is going to happen, why they think it's going to happen. So it's a little sciencey, confidence levels, scenarios, things like that. It's all text and no memes or any fun stuff like that. But, you know, if you've got a few minutes and want to kind of geek out over some weather stuff, take a look at that forecaster discussion. Really good stuff there. And, and, and that's what I would say to all our enthusiasts too. Goodness, yep. people who like to go to the back country and be, they should be responsible. There is a personal responsibility. Here. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, we've got a lot of folks who go into the back country, you know, in the wintertime. Um, I'm a ultra runner, so I'm out on the trails all the time in the summer. So it's like, it's upon me to, to know what's coming and then make a, a decision. You know, what is my risk tolerance, right? You know, I'm a meteorologist. I should know better than not to run on a, in a thunderstorm day up on a ridgeline, right? Um, but sometimes, you know, you make that judgment call, oh, 20% chance I think I can, I think I can make it. Yeah. I have to, before we let you go, I didn't know you were married to a meteorologist. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yep. It, that, and that's where we met at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And uh, so she, uh, she still stays in tune with the science, definitely. Yeah. How do you manage your stress level? Clearly, I want I want everyone to know about you because we hear about your runs. Obviously, you you yeah. run three sixty five. That's my outlet. You know, honestly, you know, uh, job in meteorology, especially in, you know during recent events where there's a lot more stress. Um, you know, I've got two young kids, um, and so you know, so I I've embraced ultra running, basically running fifty mile, hundred mile type distances, that kind of that kind of thing, and so I train for that pretty regularly. Um, and so, you know, just this morning I was out in the hills around Golden Eagle, probably not my best idea because it was snowy and muddy and, you know, I was stepping down and it's like fell into, you know, ice water and I'm like, oh, this is fun. But, you know, hey, you know, that's part of the training is to get ready for those scenarios. But as silly as it sounds, that is sort of my outlet for de-stressing a bit. Yeah. And we live in a great community for it too. I mean, I think, I think Reno is up there with, places like Boulder and Flagstaff as running capitals. We've got just an incredible diversity of trails and places to go run and hike. Yeah. I love that. And coming from the Midwest, we know, you said you're at Madison. I I grew up in central Illinois and and northern Illinois as well. And nothing like northern Nevada. Oh, exactly. We moved here originally in 2007 from Louisville, Kentucky. That was my previous posting in the Weather Service. And we really, other than my wife having taken a Reno air flight and connecting through Reno, we had never set foot here. And we were like, this looks pretty awesome. Let's give it a try, you know? And here we are. Yep. I, I get it. Being a California transplant, I get it. I'm not going anywhere else. <laughs> uh, so I was going to ask you the best and worst of your day and you or of your job, and you can um, answer that if you want. But I'm also curious, um, what would be what would people be surprised about with mm. your job? So, you know, I think, um, you know, I've, I've had a career where I've, I've, I've done the, you know, the rotating shifts and operational forecasting and, you know, now I'm more in the management uh, position now. Uh, you know, I think in terms of probably the worst part of the weather service job is, is the rotating shifts. You know, so when we have new folks come into the weather service, they're fresh out of college 
they have to get used to working. Okay, you're going to work a week of nights and then a week of evenings and a week of days. And so that that really does wear on folks. Um, and, and it's a tough part of the job. And so, you know, we're trying to do things to, to make it a little bit better. But fundamentally, we are an operational emergency entity. So we have to be there 24-7. It is what it is. Um, that's still a struggle. I think one of the fun parts of the job is not just the diversity of weather that we get, especially here in northern Nevada, um, but the fact that I get to do things like this uh, and, and brief our public safety partners ahead of storms. I, I love doing that. I love being able to distill down what's going on to something that is actionable for somebody. And then, you know, we often get feedback saying, hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks to your office, to your team. That really helps us make a good decision today. Um, and that's immensely satisfying. That's amazing. We count on you, Chris Malcolm. We do. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else? Oh, tell us the Twitter handle because I, I, oh, people need to know. Yeah, that. no, absolutely. So at NWS Reno for both Facebook and Twitter, you can find our uh, find all our info there. Oh, what a wonderful guest. Thank you so much, Chris. Absolutely. Thank you for the invite. Yeah. Great way to kick off 2023. This is Washoe Life. We talk about what? Just things that you need to know about life here in Washoe County. All right. Until next time, we'll see you then.